You're listening to the Audio Nowcast 12-year anniversary shows. Wait a minute, 12 years, really? 12 years? No way. 12 years of fun in the sun. 12 years of memorable moments. 12 years of genius ideas. 12 years of incredible interviews. 12 years with no residuals. You're listening to the Audio Nowcast, sponsored by API and Wire World Pro Audio. Now from the Nowcast Network Studios, here's Mike. Hey, welcome to the Audio Nowcast. My name is Mike Rodriguez, and before we get going, let me introduce the guys. Over here, on my right, we've got Mr. Nick Peck. Hello, Mike. <laughs> Hello, gentlemen. How are you all? It's great to see you again. That's way Never. too much energy. Thank you. <laughs> way, it's way, I don't see you nearly often enough, so <laughs> I get so excited. It's like you know a month of pent-up hello. Uh, next to him, we've got Mr. Scott Gershon. Hi, Mike. <laughs> I figured I just position. Uh, just position. It's a yin yang. It's a yin yang. You got all the energy. Just keep it down. Uh, next to him, we've got. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Omg. Oh my goodness. The one and only. Brandon Burnside. Good evening, Mike. Good evening, everybody. Brandon, it's so good to see you. It's awesome to be back. How? It's yeah. Been far too long. It's been a while. Yep. Has it been like a year? At least. That's what young children will wow. do. Too. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, over here on my left, we've got the one and only Iron Man. I've never missed a podcast in 12 years. Uh-huh. Rob Arbiter. Hello, everyone. <laughs> Good to be here. Am I actually here or am I on Skype? You're here, brother. Awesome. And uh, this is show episode 192. Gang, this is our 12-year anniversary show. Wow. 12 wow. years. Wow, and, it, and it's a sample rate. Yeah. <laughs> and when I started this, I had a lot more hair. That's right. <laughs> you had a lot more hair. <laughs> um, no, but this is going to be a really great show um, because of a couple things. Number one, uh, we're talking sound design. This is going to be a sound design show. We've got all the sound designers are here. It's really great. And our special guest is Mr. Brett Johns. Brett. Hello. Good to be here. And Brett uh, has a company called Sonic Shepherd, and he's releasing his first sound library and went to Thailand to record elephants. And not just like one or two elephants, but lots of lots of elephants. And uh, I actually met him there, and I uh, filmed an episode of Spaces, episode number six, um, and so you'll see a behind the scenes of uh, what goes on to putting together a uh, sample. So you, so you brought the elephants into the studio. Yeah, the elephants have a nice <laughs> studio. And, 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 and they had, you know, the mocap and their, the close up, you know. <laughs> That's right. So we're going to talk a little bit. We're going to visit with Brett. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, about the Thailand adventure. And let me tell you, it was an adventure. It was an adventure. So uh, that's happening today. But uh, first. Guys, episode 192, 12 years. We've been doing this for 12 years. Sheesh. I didn't that, even know podcasts existed I mean, 12 we years are ago. Like, uh, we're like, <laughs> I mean, we're always kind of the old guys in the room, but now <laughs> our podcast is kind of like the old guys. We used to record on cassette. Uh, uh, no, we started. Um, the MP7s, Yamaha, giveaway. We, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or DMP seven. DMP seven. Yeah. Oh, oh my goodness. Yeah, we've we've had a hard time. Um, <laughs> and they're still getting. You know, we're still looking to give them away. Oh, yeah, yeah, we are. That's a burning issue. That was a. Um, but actually, we started in April of uh, 2006. Um, but the funny thing is, is I actually didn't post the show until May <laughs> of, of 
of 2006. So it's actually appropriate that we're recording this in May because it's truly our 12-year anniversary. Wow. Um, I posted two shows. And um, back in the day when we first started, I posted not only an MP3 but also a WMA file. Wow. So if Those you look, were the days. If you look at, at the early <laughs> – the early <laughs> – um, podcast, you'll see a bunch of WMA files. Wow. Mike, seriously, you have been doing this for so long. How have you kept the motivation up to be able to continue all of the phone calls and the emails and the organization and all of that stuff for 192 episodes? You know, uh, uh, two things. Number one, um, you guys, for one thing, you're all my friends, each and every one of you guys. And, and, uh, this is like the poker game, right? It's like mm-hmm. our poker game. We get together and we, we talk shop. And um, I would probably be doing this even if we weren't recording, you know, going out to dinner and stuff. And the second thing is, is I get a lot of really great feedback from people. <clears throat> you know, a lot of people who listen, the seven listeners that listen to our show, <laughs> they're really loyal, but they've actually. It's six because Brett's here today. So <laughs> 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 no, but when you, when you get an email from somebody who says, hey, I um, always wanted to be a musician or always wanted to be an engineer and I decided to take take a chance, take a gamble and started doing, you know, either being a musician or being an engineer and you guys have really helped us out and you've, you know, you really helped me out and, and just when you make it personal, you almost feel kind of in some ways um, obligated, mm. <laughs> you know, but in a good way because you just want to, you want to help those people out there and that's what... You know, that's basically what the podcast is all about. Every single person here, the the best thing about our podcast is that every person here, you know, works in the industry. And and we daily, you know, we do it. This is our, this is our job. This yeah. is our gig. And if we don't work on that, we work on something else and we eventually it all comes back. But everybody works works in the industry and you know, I've been doing it for 12 years. And it's one thing to have a gig, it's another thing to have a have a career. You know, and so I just love the camaraderie. I love what I do. I love talking about it. And I, all you guys, man, you guys, the magic is is with the conversation that we have. So that's how. And when you join Nick, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we've picked up some really great people. Bobby Osinski, you know, um, Diego, who was going to be here tonight, but, but he, he couldn't. He make would him. he would complete the sound designer pentagon, right? <laughs> right. And and but even Hexagon. like Bobby. Um, Summerfield, he's in he's in Australia. He wanted to Skype in, but didn't have a chance to to do that. And I know Martin, he would be here, but he actually had a meeting this evening that he couldn't get out of. So, you know, everybody who's been in the podcast for twelve years, we've all kind of stayed active and relevant, and and it's I don't know, it's just been really cool. It's been really, really it's fun. beautiful. Anyway, but um, yes, so you know, rather than. Harping on 12 years and the whole thing and, you know, what's the biggest changes that have happened in 12 years? We're just going to motor forward because I think the best way to honor the podcast is just to keep going. And we have a lot to talk about. So, you know, I'll sum up a little bit more later on. But I got to I got to move on to a few things before we um, visit with Brett. Number one, we need to talk about a couple things that have happened in music in the industry. And I wish Bobby Osinski was here, but you know, Gibson filed for uh, bankruptcy, wow. right? That's like, <laughs> that was like how the mighty have fallen, you know? And, and the thing is, in, in some ways you, you feel kind of bad, but in other ways, how many really good electronic companies have they bought and then just destroyed or software companies? All of them. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Starting with like, I never forgave them for Opcode. And, and Harman yeah. got bought out. 
by Samsung. Yeah. Right? So it changed. Yeah. So it's uh, you know it's really interesting to see you know twelve years ago would, it, would we ever guess that no because they were on a roll man remember when guitars were the king and they were just you know eating companies left and right and and now they they've gone down the other thing that is really interesting is what's happening to Guitar Center you know they've got a big big payment on their debt that's due and yeah and it's thanks just... to Mitt Romney and Bain Capital <laughs> that's another story yeah so I mean that's that's the next one they're on the they're on the death watch you know um, so it's really interesting to see that happening and and man if Guitar Center Guys, if Guitar Center goes the way of Toys R Us and the way of some, you know, Circuit Cities and all that, that's going to have some reverberations through the industry because a lot of manufacturers, you know, they rely on Guitar Center to push out their product. And if they don't have that, then you have Sweetwater, right? And you have Z Sounds and you have Musicians Friends. That's about it, right? Musicians little- Friends is owned by Guitar Center. Yeah, that's I know. That's right. So you have – So you don't have you Musicians don't. Friends. Well – Yes, but that's if they keep the online and lose the retail. I mean, there's so many different ways that they can do. Because the brick and mortar is the really expensive part. Right. You know, I think think what's happening in in business is there once upon a time, everyone said we want to diversify. We want to get really big. We want to buy up a lot of companies and kind of touch so many areas through diversification to be able to uh, uh, spearhead growth. The problem is, is everyone forgets what their businesses are and they forget what their key focuses are. So I think what's happening with Gibson is they, they wanted to get into consumer lines. They wanted to go in so many areas and they realized the area that they're known for is guitars. So I think that through their reorganization, they want to spin off all those other companies, yeah. all the diversification that they did and go back to the core name of Gibson as guitars. Yeah. So all of the keyboards they made and all of the other things, they want to go back to what they were. Same, same thing, I think, with Guitar Center. I think it's just you grow so big so much that you forget what you're selling to. Are you a mom-and-pop shop? Are you a high-end shop, a low-end shop? Because right now, if you look at I, – I, I, I love buying guitars lately. There's all these great boutique right. guitar stores all over America, and you no longer have to be local. No. You could ship. So I bought my last two guitars. One of them was in, what, Minneapolis? <laughs> I mean, basically places where I don't live. And the service, that's the thing is, we're forgetting about the service. We're trying to make ourselves so big that that personalized service goes away. And now because of that, those giant companies, Toys R Us, right. Guitar Center, as right. well as people buying them for investment vehicles. Yep. It's all, it's, all, it's, all, it's all going away. Well, with Guitar Center, and Rob, you can attest to this because, you know, growing up with, you know, when you're touring and when you're, um, when you need support, you always had your guy at Guitar Center, right? You always had your guy that you were going to buy your gear through and, and you had that relationship and you knew he was going to give you a good deal and you don't have that anymore. And you, no. and you can't, like, I would, I can't even remember the last time I, I went into a Guitar Center and that's, I used to go there just to see what was the latest. I used to go there just so I can actually touch a synth and, and play whatever the, the latest model is. But, but the thing is, now the deal you can get online is cheaper than the guy ever, ever could have given you anyway. Yeah. Right. Well, and and they, in professional, you have a guy. I mean, like yeah. I, I yeah, love Westlake Pro. Well, I have Westlake Pro. Uh, yeah, well. Westlake Pro. Guy, yeah. I call them. Boom. Wherever I'm at, they send it to me, and it's fast. Yeah. yeah. Well, 
Anyway, so those are, you know, I just wanted to touch base on a couple of those things. Um, I, I just, I can't, before we drop it, I can't imagine a world in which the Les Paul and the SG are not manufactured anymore. I, you know That's what? Gonna, those no, no, gonna, someone, no, someone will buy the brand. Yeah. It's I, too valuable. I think the brand, yeah, exactly. I think the brand will live on. Gibson as a company is going to look different. But basically, when you go into bankruptcy, you're just, you're, you're trying to protect yourself. You're trying to protect what assets you have, and you're basically going to reorganize, right? Yeah. And it's what happens coming out of that. You know, that's going to be the whole key. So we'll see what happens. Um, but unfortunately, and fortunately, you had things like Sonar. You know, they, they didn't learn, learn their lesson and they, with opcode, so they went after Sonar. They got Sonar. And thank God, Sonar has actually been released for free. That got picked up. And um, so you can get Sonar now. And, and, and a funny thing is, is the very first theme song for the Audio Nowcast, episode one through whatever, um, that was done on Sonar. I, I wrote it as just like, hey, I want to learn this software. And so I wrote the, the theme song on Sonar. So so Gibson released the rights to the Sonar they, they, source um, code and somebody was able to release it? Yeah, basically, well, there's another company that picked up the assets and, and released it. It's going to be a fire sale for certain brand names. Yeah. Mm. Um, but anyway, yeah. So, so there you go. Um, that's kind of what's happening in, in the broader sense. Another thing I wanted to touch base on um, is I wanted to talk about something that happened that that we're going to get a little nerdy here. But we're going to talk about uh, MIDI polyphonic um, expression, which is the MPE um, standard that's going to be part of MIDI now. And and if you guys don't know what that, how many do you, do you know what that is? The MPE, do you know what mini polyphonic expression? Basically, with all these new controllers like the Linstrument and the Eigenharp and all those, um, you have more control with your key than just note on, note right. off, and aftertouch and all that. You basically modulation. So what, at, in a real simple way, what MPE extension allows MIDI to do now is to now you can have the control of the whole keyboard, you know, with all the pitch bends and modulation and all that, you basically can... Per note? Yes, it can all be per note. Yeah. And that's going to be, that's actually part of it. And there's a lot of modules that are supporting it. And there's a lot of software that's supporting it. And it's going to be a really big thing. And that's a really big deal. Because now, especially for sound designers that we have around here, you'll be able to go in and really tweak parameters on just your playing of a synth uh, on just to the next level, you know, you can do things like, um, for instance, you know, the crazy pitch bends and the modulations and the way you can like on some of the controllers, you hit a button up, it's different than hitting the button down. Um, it's, it's not just the on off. It's like a toggle. And, um, and there's just a way more, the, the call was because of the controllers that were getting way more expressive. They needed some way for, this to be able to talk in some standard to all the other modules and all the other synths that are out there. And so that's why they came up with that and then got adopted. And so you're going to see that left and right. So you're going to see MPE. That's going to be the thing, you know, synth with MPE and um, modules and keyboards and things like that. So, so that's awesome. So I'm, I'm imagining like the ability to simulate a steel guitar, right, where you can hold a tri a triad and then be able to pitch bend one note and not the others. Yeah. And right? Look, that kind of thing. And look at like look at if you look at the demos for like the Eigenharp or look at um Linstrument, any of those ones that, you know, the Harmon con um, continuum, continuum, yeah. things or like the that. Rolly Seaboard. Yeah. Roly, right. Roly. It's, it's like a string yeah. instrument. Every finger 
can have a different expression. It's not a global expression. It's an individual. Yeah. So, but the cool thing about that, that's great for music. All right. That's really great for music. But what, what, when I started reading about it, what's going to be really cool is, you know, MIDI is a standard that's not used in just musical applications. Mm -hmm. Right? There's light boards that work off MIDI. There's a lot of production that works off MIDI. There's a lot of show control that works off MIDI. So now to have that next level of automation in the MIDI spec, you're going to see some really cool things happening and not just with, with shows, but like robotics. Um, I is going to super geeky. Okay. But I've built a robot <laughs> that used MIDI. As the control language to talk to um, the different servos and things like that, because it was it's a standard. So, if you can imagine having more control to be able to do crazy, you know, well, then, then at that stuff. point you start talking about game controllers and VR controllers, where if all of a sudden you've got a button, it's on or off. Now, how you play it? Yes. And now, all of a sudden, you have much more control to do. Yeah, I mean, you could you could have you know basically ball servos instead of just up and down, left and right. You can have balls. It's gonna open up. It's more than just music. You're gonna see this spec being adopted, and that's the best thing about standards is the you know it's really hard to get a standard, but once you have a standard, they're wonderful things because it allows you know manufacturers to play with each other and to do things. So it's really really cool. It's it's a it's a cool thing to happen, and and I. Recommend if you guys want to learn more, just look up MPE. And there's some really great videos online and people that do a much better job of explaining it than I am. But um, but it's really cool. And and that actually brought me into the thing that that I thought as I look back at the 12 years of we're doing this podcast. All these tiny little things that have evolved since we started, you know, because of processors getting quicker and and people being able to do stuff and just the synth engines that are out here. I mean, remember when granular synthesis was a really huge deal way back in the day? Like, oh my gosh, granular, you know, that's going to take, you know, 14 PCs all put together so that you can process these sounds. And now you got to, you know. Yeah, you know, iPad app, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, that does that kind of crazy stuff. You can do it on microprocessors. The Mutable Instruments <laughs> Clouds module for Eurorack yeah. does an incredible job of granular synthesis, and it's you know, it's inexpensive and not a very powerful processor at all. That was um, Sema, right? They they was the uh, Kima. Yeah, Kima. Yeah, yeah. Kima. They they were like the first big deal that was doing that. I remember they, for me at least, that I learned about granular, and it was like this. Ooh, granular, you know. Yeah. And um, but now it's just it's just amazing to see some of the stuff um, happen. Um, so yes, wanted to talk a little bit about uh, about that. Um, I want to open it up really quick um, to you guys because um, we haven't really talked lately about hardware, about sense. And has anybody, you know, played anything really kind of cool or any any hardware stuff that they want to talk about? Um, starting with you, Nick. Well, now that you mention it, um, I also was traveling. I just got back from Berlin two days ago because I was at Superbooth 18, which is the nice. the worldwide modular synth convention. And there was more hardware than you could shake a stick at. I was I went with a friend of mine who is a manufacturer. His company is 1010 Music. And so I helped him uh, show his stuff like when he needed to go have a lunch break or whatever. I was, I was helping him out. But mostly I was running around and recording stuff for my YouTube channel and checking everything out. I cannot believe how healthy 
the uh, the modular Eurorack industry has become. It was stunning. It was twice as big as I thought it was going to be. And the number of small mom and pop European manufacturers that I've never heard of here in America was just jaw dropping. Wow! It was it was amazing. And people love people love to touch. People love to push not push buttons and turn knobs and uh, you know. And it it was was really fascinating about it to me is that all of the notion of analog versus digital is completely gone, right? Because digital modules do fantastic, incredible things and analog modules do fantastic and incredible things. And, you know, I don't, I don't think there are any purists anymore along those lines. I think it's like whatever, whatever tool works for, yeah. you know, whatever your application you, is. You can't be a purist nowadays. If you, yeah. if you even start that conversation, you're, that's just ridiculous. You know, it's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Well, that's cool. Did you pick up any new hardware yourself? I did. I did. I bought two things, but I built them both. One of them was a random source Serge new timbral oscillator, which is an extremely high quality uh, oscillator with a ton of different waveforms and a ton of different controls and control voltage and so forth. And the other thing was from Leaf Audio. It's a wonderful sound design tool. It's called what is it? It's, oh, the it, something shed, right? It, it, exploding shed's exploding, the company that made it. It's, shed, a, it's okay. a microphone box. It's a wooden box that has sandpaper on it and it's got springs across it and uh you know a kalimba attached to it and rods sticking <laughs> a, up a kalimba. seriously an adjustable Jeez. kalimba and then you build it and you put a couple of piezo microphones in um and those go out to a preamp card that is specially designed for piezos right for being able to really really multiply the gain quite a bit yeah. um and it's just an absolutely fantastic sound design tool so you know the notion is you can you can there's space for you to put on whatever thing you want. So I'll go and find some, you know, some ribbed aluminum or something at the hardware store and attach it. So I'll have some other flavors, other sounds. And then you take it, you record it at 192. You can bow all of the things with a real bow and you get all the resonance of all that stuff happening in the box. And it becomes an incredible, uh, incredible opportunities for, you know, sort of abstract sound design fodder. That's awesome. And like horror sound design. (laughs) Oh, totally. (laughs) For sure. Yeah, any Scott, any of you guys want to borrow it? Let me know. Uh, I'll be over tomorrow. <laughs> it's pretty great. Well, that's great. And yeah. uh, and when I found out you went to Super Booth, I was hoping we could talk about that. Yeah. And actually, we got to talk off the air. We got to talk more because there's more things I want to sure, sure. find out about. But that's going to segue us into the the next thing I want to talk about is since this is our 12 year anniversary, um, I can't think of another part of audio that has had as many breakthroughs as sound design has had in 12 years. I mean, not to say that music hasn't, you know, done some really wonderful things and with, with all the different musical instruments and controllers and things like that. But think about sound design, um, where it was 12 years ago and where it is now with the tools and the way you can manipulate. And when you talk about like immersive audio, when you talk about all the new stuff that the way you can manipulate the sound field, it's, it's truly, um, just mind blowing when you, when you see how far we've come. And obviously like Scott and Brandon guys that have been doing sound designs for this last, you know, 12 years, you know, that it's just, it's just gotten just so much better. <laughs> yeah. You really notice and, when you watch a movie that was made yes, 15 yeah. years yes. ago. Yeah. And, and you know, the talent has really gotten really good. You see guys doing stuff that like, I don't know. You hear like really good monster sounds coming from 
you know, just, oh yeah, I've, I just got out of school. And then, you know, <laughs> you start showing you some of your stuff. You're like, holy smokes. Because back in the day, that would have taken forever to do. Like, how about Scott? And I know you know, doing pitch change with tape. Not even doing pitch change with mm-hmm. a computer, but yeah. doing pitch change with tape. You know? Yes. But, you know, I was going to, where I was stopping with that, you know what's interesting, though, is, I, and I've got my crew and I, it's kind of gotten easier to do cyber robotics. Yes. But to try to still create something organic with personality yeah. is still a challenge. And oh. it seems to be where most of my career has been. It's not as much making a really cool droid. But it's now making droid happy, sad, giggle, ha- all these different emotions. And they go, you know what? I'm getting tired of the digital sound. Yeah. I want an organic flavor. Yeah. I want a language. Now, all of a sudden, yes, it's gotten a lot easier. Well, it's gotten a lot more, not easier, not, actually, it's gotten harder because everybody's done the low hanging fruit. Right. When I, everybody's done the easy stuff. Now we got to come up with stuff that nobody's ever heard of. Yeah, and when I say easier, it's easier to manipulate audio. Absolutely. That's that's all I mean. It's that has nothing to do with with the talent because like Scott says, it's it's absolutely not, like you know, coming up with truly creative original sounds, you have all the tools and let's face it, everybody has a tool. But right? you know, I think I think in some ways where I think the biggest breakthrough is, is the organization of sounds. Because it used to be that you had a library that was so big, it was almost too big. But now with librarian software, <clears throat> ways of databasing and, and controlling, and having almost limitless storage. That's true. I mean, right now, I'm up to, what, 60 terabytes? Wow. Because, and I know I've got doubles, triples, and quadruples. I don't care. Yeah. It's just so cheap. It's, it's, I don't need a lot. Like someone go, can you go through it? No. I just throw <laughs> through the librarian, use the right words, and boom, it pops up. I don't need to manage storage. Storage now is super cheap. So now what you can do with these great plugins and these great sound sources is go to town. You could sit there and take days and days and days coming up with great sounds and just store it somewhere. Before it'd be like, wow, we got to put it on tape. You got to get like, yeah, I mean, yeah. it was a laborious process. Yeah, and now it's it's less that. Yeah, Scott, I mean, let me ask you a question very briefly, which is, oh, sorry, did you did you want to come in, Brad? Oh, I was just going to say to what you were saying earlier about the low hanging fruit, how sound design has changed. Like, were, are you saying that you feel like there's now a greater expectation for more? Of a language that, like for instance, for Arrival, the movie Arrival, where they had to, you know, do an entire vocabulary for these creatures, or for something like um, How to Train Your Dragon, where you've got how many yeah. of these dragons, and they all have their own sound and whatever. That now that we have come so far, that the expectation is from producers and directors and whatnot that they can implement something far greater than what they used to. Is that it, what you're saying? Yeah, I think you know it, it, everybody in the journey, and it's a fantastic journey of sound design. So they said, first thing everyone said is, let's go to animals. So everything became tigers and lions. And we used that. Oh, that was neat. Then elephants. And everybody started going after the animals you know. Uh, uh, Imperial penguins. You know, that. So what's happened, though, is the vocabulary has been gotten. Everybody's going out recording animals. And the problem is, is when you play for a producer, they go, yeah. I've heard that already. 
I know that sound. That sounds from Blatt's show and that show. Now it's manipulation, organic manipulation of sounds. It's now using vocals. It's now taking plugins that can divide noise from pitch and, and mm-hmm. processing them separately. It's coming up with new tricks. It used to be, like you said, you had a tape machine, you can, you right. know, it used to be pitch and delay yeah. and EQ. Well, yeah, that's gone. So, so Scott, question. So you've got your 60 terabyte uh, sound library and you're throwing things into it using SoundMiner and you're creating a lot of stuff on the fly. My question for you is how much curation are you doing of the assets before you put them in and how much metadata are you adding to them? What kind of tagging and keywords are you doing so that you can find them later on? I'd love to say I'm doing all that and I'd be lying. So what I do, though, is... Elephant 1, Elephant 5,000, <laughs> Elephant 12 million. A, B, yeah. 1A, 1B. No, what I, you know a lot of times what I do is that when I have time, I try to do that. But more so what I do is I save the movie or the project, the game, the movie, and I know, oh, like Pacific Rim. I drop 80-foot cargo containers. So I know that if I just look up Pacific Rim and metal drops or then metal, then you'll find it. I'll find it. So, so you're a lot of that it, metadata. It, it, yeah. So a lot of times it's a certain logic. Now the hard part is if somebody did, wasn't me who had to go through the library and say, <laughs> I, I would never have known Pacific Rim did that. <laughs> then you lost. So uh, the libraries become very personal. I would love to hire a full-time assistant. Yeah. But, um, you know. <laughs> but, you know, but also. And it would be daunting. There's millions of sounds now. But, yes. And the cool thing is, though, is there are people that put the time in to metadata their libraries. And there's some really great libraries where you have some really great metadata that you can use to kind of cull, cull your search. There's a lot like of great third-party libraries. Yeah. Right they, they, that, that's really, really been um, – Another great thing that's happened in this time is third-party libraries have really – 12 years ago, okay, you're starting to film. What are you going to do? Well, you're going to sound ideas, you know, 6,000 series. You know what I mean? It's like Hollywood Edge, you know. <laughs> Nothing wrong with them. For hey, the, for the time. Piece, you know? No, no, no. <laughs> Nothing wrong with them, but it's like that's where you started, you know. But now there's – just so many great libraries. Oh, you, you got Frank Bry. You've got the Boom Library. I mean, yeah, there's so sure, many Russell. great boutique libraries. And and not only that, but like there's like great Foley libraries. I hire a Foley editor who doesn't he doesn't walk any of the Foley, and his edits are so good. And because he just has all this library, and he also does a lot on his own too. But it's just it's 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 and, just amazing how good these libraries. And I'll are even say. Plugging you, Brett, and that is you took the time and expense to travel to an exotic place, spend the time to record elephants. And that, that's fantastic. And so I could sit there and go for my ego and say, yes, I also will go to Thailand <laughs> and try to find these elephants. <laughs> or <laughs> I'll buy your library. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, well, that and, uh, and to that, the third-party libraries that you were talking about before, like I, I think – I agree. There are so many. The Boom Library, like you said, Chuck Russum, uh, Frank Bry, Hiss and Roar, all that stuff, uh, uh, Tim Preble. Yeah, Um, But also, it's kind of like dance music was at a certain point. Like everyone started getting into DJing. uh, What was this in the early Mm mid-90s? And there were so many dance tracks. You're like, 
it's another dance track. Like there, there also are a lot of sound libraries, and I don't. I feel like it's it's a very it's a competitive market. But I'm saying it's like there is so much out there that um, that I feel like people feel overwhelmed with the number of libraries that are out there. But you people, know what? One thing is that as like especially let's talk about animals, and I've recorded tons of animals, but. Just because I recorded a Bengal tiger didn't mean I got the performance because I recorded Bengal tigers about a dozen times. And every time I go, I get a different sound or a different approach or a different, you know, cleanliness. Um, so I think that I don't know if you could have too many libraries. I mean, maybe with Foley and Footsteps, but even then, I mean, it's... No, that's true. You, you can't have too many, but I will say this, and then we got to move on for time. Um, there are some bad libraries out there also, <laughs> okay? And I think that's the thing is there's some great libraries and there's some bad libraries and and some people will go out there and, you know, record a bunch of ambiences and call it, you know, their new ambient library. Let me just add but, one thing though that I think that's something new, like really new in the last uh, 18 months. That sometimes you have sound libraries that are just bare sounds. But now if you look at Krotos and you look at Sound Morph, they're starting to create synth engines yes. that oh, contain yeah. sounds. Like yeah. Wave Warper. And, Absolutely. Uh, yeah, yeah. So yeah. now yeah. it's no longer, like you said great. about DJ too much. Now they're starting to build synth playback engines built for not music, but sound effects no, that's, that are doing amazing uh, Weaponizer. Yeah. Weaponizer, absolutely. Have yeah. you guys tried Enforcer from Boom, speaking of that? Yeah. Oh, new it base. sounds amazing. Oh, for, no. Yeah, like there's to, there's low ender, there's all the other bass things, but for percussive bass sounds like gunshots and anything short transient, this is amazing. It oh. does it way better. And that's where the technology has its has it's gotten better and as our tools gotten better, you now as a sound designer, you have options, but you also have challenges. So as the challenges come up, the options come up and how you manipulate sound and how you get things going. And it also and, I think that the the ver- I'm sorry, is that music and sound design is coming together. Oh, yeah. And what I mean by that is there's a lot of times you can com- uh, perform a sound. Yeah. And that's becoming a lot like music. Yeah. So it's no longer about just the sound, but it's about the artist performing using the technology to create something that's really kind of cool. And then you see tracks where you have musicians, but then you also have a sound designer um, credited with with sounds, yeah. whether it's you know uh, uh, a bed, an atmospheric bed, but um, but yeah, sound design last twelve years, it's really it's been really exciting to see it happen. And that's why I wanted to do this sound design show on our twelve year anniversary because I just think it's one place where where the industry has just really made some advancements, leaps and bounds. Okay, we're gonna take a break right now, and when we come back, uh, we're gonna visit with Brett Johns on the other side. You're listening to the Audio Nowcast, sponsored by API and Wireworld Pro Audio. Have a question for the panel? Would you like to be a guest on the Audio Nowcast and live in the L.A. area? Email us at audio at nowcastnetwork.com. Hey, welcome back to the Outcast. And before the break, we were talking about samples, sample libraries, sound design, all kinds of cool things. But I wanted uh, to uh, talk right now with our good friend, Mr. Brett Johns. Let me tell you something about Brett that's really kind of fun. He's the perfect guest for our 12-year anniversary show because he was on show number four. Now, back in the day, um, 
Brett, I first met Brett, oh man, how many years ago? Like 15 years ago, something like that? A long time ago, yeah. A long time ago. And um, we started talking because he was this energetic guy who wanted to be a, uh, a sound designer and he wanted to get into to audio and we we actually really started talking at a wedding well we had a connection of uh in electronic music i think we we're both using cubase sx at yes. the time yes yes so we were talking he was doing dance music and and um he was doing dance music and we were talking, but he wanted to get into audio and he wanted to get into sound design and things like that. And so um, <laughs> I actually hired him to work on a really, really bad animated – Straight to DVD. Straight to DVD feature. I, it was your it's, first sound design job. It was my job. first sound design job. It was called A Christmas Dinosaur. <laughs> 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 and the reason why, and I'm going to tell you this too, the reason why I hired Brett is because when I looked at the, when I watched it down, it was this animated dinosaur, these little dinosaurs, and all I saw was wing flapping all over the place. And I was like, there's no way I want to cut <laughs> all those wing flaps. There's a great library for that right now. I'm just saying. <laughs> So I'm like, uh, hey, Brett, you know how you want to do a sound design? <laughs> you know how you want to do some sound editing? And so I hired Brett. And you know what? He did a really good job. You did a really great job on that first one. And that's when I knew. I'm like, you know what? This guy's going to gonna do something really Well, good. I was background at first on that on that gig. And then you had me cut a big dog commercial, like a cartoon, just for fun. And then when I did that, you're like, I'm promoting you to sound yeah. sound editor. Yeah. Yeah. No, you you I could tell right off the bat. And so he did the wing flaps and it was really and a great. Christmas dinosaur ended up winning the Emmy for wing flaps. <laughs> <laughs> it's a beautiful story. So anyhow, so the I brought first time that was ever awarded. So I brought Brett in on episode number four. And and if you listen to that episode, he's talking about wanting to do more and kind of getting into the business and kind of getting rolling. And and I hired him on a couple other jobs. We did an EA job together and some other things. And then Man, the great thing about Brad, he's been on our podcast before, is he's kind of worked his way up. And the last formal gig that he did, he worked his way all the way up to the lead sound designer for a AAA title, uh, which was uh, Marvel Universe, um, the video game. Marvel Heroes MMO. Yeah. yeah. And um, and he was the uh, the lead sound designer. And that was pretty dang impressive. He did some really, you know, I know you're getting a big head here, but I'm serious. You did I, some I'm not really, really getting a big um, head at all. <laughs> Well, um, you did some really amazing sounds and really great sounds, and we, you know, we'd have all these conversations. And Brett was the kind of guy that I talked to maybe once a week or every two weeks, and we just talk gear. We talk about the latest plugins and how to do this and how to do that. And he was like a sponge. Anyhow, as uh, as you know, things were going on. Um, he, you know, he had this video game, and then um, basically the you know rug got pulled from from him. That happened. Yeah, <laughs> they, and, they closed down. <laughs> and then he told I mean, me, "Marvel is still still going. Don't worry. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's just gazillion. It's just gazillion. Yeah. Something, something exactly, exactly." And then uh, and then Brett says, uh, 
he was going to do a, an elephant library because he went to Thailand the year before. Why don't you I, tell I've him? been planning the library for a while. I knew I wanted to start doing libraries. And I, if I was going to release a library, I wanted to do something that was interesting, that was really useful for sound designers. And I wanted to do something – I wanted to do it in a way – if I was going to do elephants, I wanted to do it in a way that hadn't been done before or I hadn't uh, heard it been done before. Sure, sure, sure. So I went out and I knew I couldn't just go out there and show up with gear and ask where the elephants are and just set it up. So I Yo, went, where the elephants at? Where, where, where the elephants at? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So I went out there to see who I could meet, talk to who I could talk to and, you know, take it from there. And so I'd planned on coming back the next year and just before I was ready to go back, uh, the company closed down. Uh, they also uh, took everyone's PTO, so I didn't even have my pay time off to do that either. Sure. And I was like, I was like, well, okay. I made all my connections. I've done all this work. I've been in contact with the people out there. So now, what am I going to do? And um, at some point, I can't remember why, but uh, the idea to start a Kickstarter to fund it came up, and I thought it. At first, I thought it was a really lame idea. I was like. Doing a Kickstarter is like saying, uh, in my mind, was like, you know, I'm an actor. Uh, I've been watching a lot of good TV lately, and I got new headshots. I think this is going to happen. Um, <laughs> so, so I decided, you know what? If I'm going to do it, I'll just study what everyone else has done and try and make the best Kickstarter I can. And it turned out it's called it was called Elephants in the Room, and the name of the library is called Elephants in the Room. And um, luckily, people seemed to like the idea and get behind it, and surprisingly people even like tim preble a lot of people who are you know industry icons came up behind me and supported the project so then at that point when i was funded i thought no pressure it'll be fine (laughs) (laughs) so i got together went out there and still again even though you make the plans to go out there you're going out to a third world country it's not like you're set up with uh, permits, uh, studio time, or whatever. You like, you really don't know. It's run and gun. Do the best thing you can. And luckily, uh, it seemed to come together, and I got some, some decent sounds. What did that. you use uh, for recording mics and recorders? I used uh, Sennheiser 8050 and a MKH30, did a midside, um, and a sound device of 633. Great. And when, uh, when Brett told me about the project, and he said he was going to go out there uh, to record the elephants. First of all, I love elephants. They're like well, probably my favorite animal. They're just so big and they're just so majestic. And I thought, you know what? I think I'm going to go out there and film an episode of Spaces and just show people what it's like to actually go out in the field and record sounds. And let me tell you this. Um, we got some great footage. Think about Indiana Jones with a microphone, and that pretty much will describe Brett out in the field. Now he my got, head's getting really He tired. got so close to these elephants when they were doing the most <clears throat> scary-sounding sounds. And there was this one part where there was this elephant greeting where one elephant would, would come and meet these other two elephants. And the elephant would, would come down this little path, and Brett's there, and I'm over here, and I'm far away because I don't want to get trampled and he's right in the middle of it like a dance and he's dancing around with the whole things. They make this sound that you just got to hear to believe. It's just this it, 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 it reminded me of like what a dinosaur would make. It's just this low 
guttural roar and almost like a bark. And I'm probably about 15, 20 feet away. And Brett is like right up there with the microphone. Well, I had two days to warm up. You should have seen me before you got. Before you got recording, did you do? You know, a total. I think I ended up only doing five because elephants fell through and we had rain and all sorts of stuff. But that's um, an awful visual: elephants falling through. (laughs) No, but but the thing about what's really unique about about what Brett did is he hooked up with a really um, great. Elephant camp owner? Yeah, an elephant camp owner. There's all these different elephant camps There's uh, in this one valley. And he hooked up with a, with a gentleman named Tu who was um, an owner of one of them. And basically, because we're working with a local, had access that n- I guarantee nobody's had that type of access to as many different elephants like that. He took like us that. all over, yeah. Yeah, it yeah. was – was, remember, remember going like – through a village, down some other path, yes. into another area, across a bridge, yeah. up and yeah. <laughs> yep. How was uh, you know how, a lot of times when you're in jungle areas, the isolation between birds and other noises. Were you able to get good isolation on the elephants? Um, it <clears throat> depended on where we were. I was able to uh, at his camp for the most part. There is some cicada sound here and sure. there. Um, the occasional chicken. No. Um, <laughs> that happens. No, it was pretty chaotic. So um, when you're talking about recording that much even, you don't know when someone's going to start beating something somewhere or even within the people that are there who know what's going on, they're like, hey, what did you eat for dinner yesterday? And I'm like, guys, I just – I <laughs> – in time, uh, no, the cell phones. The that, cell phones. The cell. You're I, in the jungle, and all of a sudden, you, you hear a cell phone going off with like the default melody. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, it's somebody calling. That's the one of the songs. Yeah, uh, that was true. Yeah, it was all the time. Cut. I just lost the take. Uh, yeah. No, there was times, and I actually I filmed it where he's like, he's like. Come on! Like he has this look, like you know, really, Shut you know, <laughs> exactly. But what do you I, do? Well, and well, and that's, well, now Isotope has that new filter specifically for removing chickens and cell phones. So. <laughs> oh, that's going to be a useful one for you. Did, did you? Uh, what were we at? One ninety two or ninety six? One ninety two. Yeah, twenty four. One ninety two. Yeah, the entire time. Yeah, one ninety two. And let me just tell you, um, it was. When you hear the stuff that he got, it's it's phenomenal. It's it's just you've never heard anything. We've like all heard this. it. Everyone, go ahead and chime in. <laughs> <laughs> it is awesome. No, it's, it's really ridiculously cool. great. But what's even better is, and I can't wait to when this episode comes out to see the stories behind some of these sounds that that we got, and some of the fun stuff, and some of the just the funny stuff. I mean, there was like <laughs> there was there was this one time where um, these elephants were um, supposed to get amorous. And so that oh, we could yeah. record some amorous sounds of an elephant, and uh, they just weren't having it. <laughs> well, they forgot to put on the Barry White music. And, and to see, really and to see um, this particular time when I was there, to see them trying to, you know, get the elephant in their mood, <laughs> it was just, it was just really funny. It was really, really funny. Um, but please tell me you caught elephants farting. Please, please. Uh, I did. That was that's a feature in the library. Yes. <laughs> um, but but you know what? The one thing I know, I'll, I'll tell you something about elephants that I didn't know is um, some of the trumpets that some of these elephants make 
are small sounding. They're they, not really big. Yeah, you you want to say, well, God bless you. Yeah, it sounds like seriously, it sounds like a like a sneeze. It's this really high like high end like little sneeze, and you see this big elephant. And you're thinking, okay, it's going to be this really big thing, and it's this little. You know, and it's it's cool, but it's just so unexpected. And that's the thing I, I got out of elephants is that they well, make so many different sounds. Well, able, did you uh, have any omnis with you? No, 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 no. Because no. anything because they're the subsonics, right? That the elephants produce that are really I low. Wanted, I wanted that. I wanted a Sankin. I wanted to strap a bunch of contact mics. To, like, I mean, I wanted yeah, to do yeah. a bunch of stuff. And everyone was like, you know what you should do before you start recording? You should go to the village and tell everyone to be quiet. And I'm like, yeah, that's yeah. It was just <laughs> no, like right. a lot like, It's so, you know, it's so. English. It's, yeah, it's exactly. so chaotic. Yeah, it's yeah. so chaotic. And, you know, to see, I'm so glad I got to document this stuff because to see what, you know, Brent has to not only worry about recording and your levels and all that, but then you have the mahouts, which are the like the elephant trainers, and they're sitting there and they're talking and they they want to help him get some sounds, and so they're like going, huh, huh, you know, you know, doing the little thing, and and then the elephant will make a sound, but then they're talking on top of the right. sound, sure, sure, so you're like we, trying we to orchestrate them, that. Yeah, but we got them to chill that out. So, oh yeah, so they'll say it, and then yeah. they'll let the elephant do the thing, and then you know they do that. But you, you know something that you might consider. For your next field recording expedition like that, um, is bringing a parabola. Sure. Right. Sure. Sure. You sure. You know the problem is you don't get a lot of low frequency information, but you can hone that thing in like a laser. Sure. Beam. And you got the eighty fifty though. That's just a hyper. Yeah. Cardi- cardio. I got the eighty fifty. Yeah. I'll yeah. tell you another thing about going out there to the jungle, especially going to Thailand. It was with Cape Pacific. Your carry-on allowance was only fifteen pounds. Oh boy! Yeah, and my computer bag alone was fifteen pounds. Like, yeah. but the the thing is, is Rob, you screwed. <laughs> no, no, I've already been through this. When I went to India last year, I actually bought separate computer bags just because of that fifteen-pound limit. I found a two-pound computer bag that could hold three computers. Yeah, and they're wow. really strict over there. It's just they they are super strict. Raws. So yes. it's like even with like the the camera equipment that I wanted to take, I was like. Okay, I'm going to take my smallest camera and then I'm going to shoot. And I shot a lot of stuff on iPhone. I shot a lot of stuff on, you know, on the action cam and stuff like that because wait, because the worst thing in the world is to be at the airport and they're like, oh no, you got to check that. You're okay, like, okay so, I, so that was, oh, go ahead. Sorry. I'll just tell you a little hint, by the way, a little useful tip. When I was going to India, I discovered something called the Scotty Vest. Which I think is from Shark Tank originally. I think yeah. That's how you, Thank you. <laughs> I, 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 sorry. But with, yes. Not the Scotty Gershon vest, the Scotty oh, okay. vest. But when I went to India, I ended up wearing about 30 pounds of miscellaneous gear in all these pockets. Ooh. The vest I bought has 20 oh. plus pockets. And you look like a big fat guy, but <laughs> under a coat, it passes as clothing. You take it off to put it through the x-ray, but then as you're boarding the plane, you show them your little dinky bag that weighs less than 15 pounds. Yeah. And they don't question that you're a big fat guy carrying all your gear in your uh, That is so a great tip. I wish I'd known I wish before yeah, you went yeah, over yeah. there. Scotty no, vest. and that was a big gamble. You know, I, I knew I had been there before, and I also have friends here from Thailand Um I know it can be shady there, and I know that you can you can come across and they'll say, "Oh, you've got some equipment there." Well, if you will give me a certain amount of money, I will look the other way. 
Um, I, and so there, there are also people that are like, oh, you know, just put everything in your Pelican briefcase or whatever that you, you, you got. And I'm like, okay, no. It, Low Pro was the way for me, just a backpack and a computer bag. People were like, oh, you should do a uh, Carnet. Carnet? Carnet. Yeah, Carnet. A, Carnet. A, a Carnet. List of equipment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but I was afraid that if I did a Carnet, that would attract attention to me. What kind of business are you doing? Where are your papers? What's going on? Yes. So I did yeah. not know until I, I finally got off the plane. Oh, by the way, my – my missed my second flight. Then I had to go to Bangkok. So then I didn't know if my luggage was following me. I had a backup of everything on me and a backup in my bag. So in case my bag got lost, it didn't matter. My trip was still on. I had every single element there. Um, but I did not know until I got there that night that I was actually going to have all my gear and it was, you know, it was going to happen. It was, a, it was a risk. I, I had no idea. And I can't tell you how relieved I was. <laughs> well, you know, and along those lines, when you do something with like a Kickstarter campaign, how many, how many people did you have? A uh, hundred? A uh, hundred and something. Okay. So you're going out to record a library and you have a hundred people waiting for the results i mean talk about pressure that's a lot of pressure and i saw it on your face man when we first got out there and when um we talked a little bit beforehand and and you just you got in the zone but i just it's just that's a lot of pressure and the fact that he did have a backup recorder backup everything that's like you know there's part of you that like come on it's the sound devices those things are like you know bricks it doesn't matter but it, it doesn't matter because if you don't have that and yeah. and to to brett's um, credit. There was a time where I said, "Well, hey, why don't you just, you know, take such and such because it's, uh, it's, you know, you use that as your backup." And he's like, "Nope, I said one ninety two. It has to be one ninety two. Of course, yeah, you yeah. know, and which is, you know, you, that's just doing it the right way. And um, it's just, I, I, I just think that's was really one of the great things is it's it was everything was always about the people that were behind it and was always about the the backers and and keeping the updates and things like that. And I had I had some really good names in terms of the backers too, people that I know in the business that I really respect that have done some of the best work that I've ever heard. And so I that was added to the pressure, but I think part of it too is uh, a couple of those people have recorded lots of elephants <laughs> and their advice to me, uh, one of the biggest pieces of advice is don't bring back distorted recordings. So yeah. that was the most important yep. thing to me, keeping everything down. It, if I needed to, I'd pop a 15 dB pad in there, whatever I needed to do to make sure that didn't happen. And thankfully, everything came out. I didn't and have how any many, dist- how many tracks did you have on a recorder? I mean, I only had two mics, so I did two tracks. The reason why I ask is there's a little trick Yeah, that you have, let's say, tracks one and two, oh, you normal, can. tracks three and four. Are down six dB, but not on the six thirty three. You can't do it, right? Yeah. So and at one ninety two, guess what? Six thirty three does not have any limiters. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Mm, so you're flying, sure. you're flying without a, without a net. No, he literally was flying, and and he like levels. Now, I'm, to your to your credit, before he even went out, and this is really good advice. If you're going to do a mission critical thing like that. Brett literally practiced. Like you went out. I practiced for a week yeah. with the recorder uh, before I went out. Yeah, went out to so the park. So now you need an AR device that has meters on your glasses so you can see the way Yes, please. <laughs> what did you What did you practice uh, with? 
Uh, mostly Mike. Lots of lots of grunts and roars he did for me. So I think I got an elephant too. Yeah, grunts. I would imagine that the, the yeah. dynamic range yeah. difference between a full throated <laughs> trumpet and yeah. some of those really really quiet yeah. gazentite type of things you would say, you know I would imagine there's an enormous volume differential between those two. Sure, sure. I, at one point I did have some guy uh, in a studio blowing a big not a trumpet but something that is like a trumpet mm. it, full blast just so I could get levels down with mm-hmm. that and use the pads. Um, yeah, and he was constantly switching the pads in and out as he was recording. Yeah. Like, because um, you would know as soon as you get up to an elephant, we would know like but whether no, or not is, it was yeah, going to be a this is padded. Work. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, there was. <laughs> I want to. You'll see this in the episode, but there's times <laughs> where we would get an elephant, and uh, you know, yeah, this elephant makes a really good sound, really good sound. Then the elephant comes, and it it it's like a gnat sneezing. I mean, it's like there was. Well, nothing and, good. Yeah, and that's that's the thing is I I put out I organized everything. What what I did is I went to uh, elephantvoices.org and these scientists have been studying elephants for 40 years. They've mapped out all their their social behavior, their their movements and all of their voices and they have all that stuff recorded. So, I went and I made sure I had copies of everything, all the sounds that they were capable of and I had sent that stuff off to two so that we could organize. I was like, these are the sounds that I'm most interested in and stuff that I had maybe library-wise as well that I wanted to do something similar or you know better recorded at 182. I said, this is the breakdown of this way I want to do. And then um, when I got out there, he, he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, we got all that. And when I got out there, it was like the wild, wild west. It's like, <laughs> yeah, it it's like, what does this elephant do? I don't know. <laughs> like you just did. I just didn't know. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Casting call. Exactly. Exactly. I got to think in LA, somebody's got an elephant with an XLR output and you could just go direct. <laughs> it's expensive. Uh, yeah, maybe it's expensive. Well, Brett, how, uh, how long do you think it's going to take you to sift through all of the content and edit it down? And You know, I, I honestly don't know. I, I've, never, I've never done it before. Uh, how many so, hours do you have? Um, how many days do you have? I, I don't know how many hours I have because as Mike will – uh, testify a lot of what I did in terms of those days recording is um, waiting when's the next elephant coming 20 minutes sure. yes 20 minutes <laughs> 20 minutes could be 10 minutes or it could be two and a half hours so yeah. it depends on the programs you use but a lot of times we always found it's about a week per day okay so if you do a full day of recording mm. it'll take you about a week to sift through name it master it Top and tail. And Brett literally just got home like three days ago. I did, right? yeah. I mean, it's just, it's, I would it's say really it fresh. could be about a month. Oh, you think? Could be. Well, yeah, I don't I know. Mean, be, be, I don't know that I have that much material. So, like, okay. I mean, a couple weeks there? Yeah, probably a couple weeks. Yeah. Yeah. What's, what's really. Unless you start losing your mind after a while, by the way. <laughs> I believe it. What's really unique about this library, too, is when he said we were waiting for elephants, it was amazing that. The elephant culture where we were in in Chiang Mai was that the these elephants used to work you know um, in the logging industry you know and mm. and but then they no longer work in the logging because they don't do any logging anymore so now they have this whole elephant tourism and there's elephants all over this place and so like the uh, two the owner of the elephant camp basically could order you know you want a, a 
a big bull and he would order a bull. And so you're sitting there and all of a sudden you see in the path coming out, here comes this bull, you know, it's just like, where do they store these elephants? You know, is there like a well, big lot where they park them? You they're, know? they're all a community. So there's all camps all around there and they all cooperate with one another. And so in that area, all of the elephants um, were trained by the people from the northeast of Thailand. And then the logging people are the people, the Karen people. Yeah. So it's a very different culture. Um, you know, a lot of those people from the, oh, sorry, the northwest, those people from the northwest, um, they're used to training these elephants for shows and elephant tourism. Mm-hmm. Whereas the logging elephants, those elephants, they have to behave themselves around human beings. But what they would do is they would log and then they'd say, go hang out, go have your day. And that's fine. So it's a very different type of people, different types of elephants. I found that when I was with the Karen people and I was with those elephants, it felt like, I mean, maybe it's weird I'm imagining it, but it felt like those elephants were happier. Like they were like, they were nicer. They were more affectionate. They were super cool. And the other ones, you know, uh, they have full-time jobs, like serious full-time jobs. The The ones with the people. The ones with the people that yeah. were uh, trained for either. Did you ever or- get any elephants that were in heat or did you ever do any of that? Yeah. I'm, and Mike was talking about that. Um, that day that he was there, that was my second day with that pair. Uh, that was Magnum and Lumjai. And um, basically uh, there's a, a, a rumble that the female does the <laughs> when she's feeling it. Uh, she was feeling it much more the day before. Um, apparently, according to two, uh, they had eaten, um, and and or either they had eaten or they hadn't eaten. I would say probably they had eaten. If they had eaten, they'd be feeling it more. I don't know. <laughs> but so did they introduce the male? You got to buy them dinner. <laughs> exactly. Did they introduce the male to the female in heat? Yeah, but the thing is, is that male was gay. Uh, uh, no, seriously, yeah. according to uh, Mr. Two. So, like, uh, he was happy to be around us. I mean, I mean, really happy to be around <laughs> us. Um, but as soon as uh, she came around, she was very excited. Um, he started really not being he that. He didn't really care, but she was really excited. So that first day, sure. I got a lot of her rumble. And then I went a third day to record um, another female with that same bull. Uh, to get that same. I'm supposed to introduce a, a different bull. So, yeah, yeah it, uh, bulls are far and few between uh, mm. out there. Uh, they have a lot more of the females. Um, and also, lo and behold, I didn't know this uh, until I was out there, but um, the bulls don't actually make much sound. Yeah. Uh, they're happy just to have the man. What they have noticed with elephants, contrary to other animals which I've recorded, is that most animals, the males will sound off when they are introduced to a female in heat. And they're the ones that just have this massive vocabulary. And I did find with elephants, it was the opposite. They, because I did something where they had four females, the, ma- the bull came out, and it was all the females that were all uppity and agitated and more than the male. The male just was like, hey, I'm here. Yeah, okay, yeah. yeah, and then all the females were, you know. You know, one of the cool things about about the library, too, that I will say, and um, is the fact that working as close with the Mahouts as Brett was working, um, the Mahouts got the elephants to vocalize in ways that, you know, 
a zookeeper couldn't because they don't have that same relationship with the elephant that the mahooks do, you know? And so when I say he's got some really unique sounds, there's stuff that you've never heard before only because the relationship and how it was acquired, it just you just can't replicate that. You have to get these sounds in Thailand, in the wild, out there where the elephants are because that's – that's the only time that they make these kind of vocalizations and things like that. Um, but uh, hey, look, we're we're running long. We're gonna have to wrap it up. But I just want to um, thank you, Brett, for uh, joining us and telling us a little bit about that, thank and you. for letting me come out there and film you. Oh this my is, god, it's, thank you. Yeah. It's been great, and uh, it's it's um, the episodes. It's episode number six. Um, and speaking of uh, <laughs> speaking of spaces, our release date is. June 7th, we're dropping our episode. Congratulations. So, um, hey, and, Brett, one, and, qu- one quick question. Yeah, yeah. How can people find out more about your stuff? What's the name of your company, well, the name of your website and all of that? It's uh, sonicshepherd.com, uh, www.sonicshepherd.com. Um, and you is, can still go to the Kickstarter, too, if you want to find out a yeah, little bit about it. Yeah, if you want to find out uh, something about the uh, the whole story behind it and me and Sonic Shepherd, everything else, uh, you can do Elephants in the Room Kickstarter or in Google simply Brett, B-R-E-T, my first name, and the word elephant. And I'm the first hit on Google. So and do you have any idea that's a what you're going to charge for the library? Uh, somewhere upwards of 200 So for the people on Kickstarter, because they were my first supporters, they're the people that uh, sent me out there. Uh, Early Bird, they got it for 89 and then the next people got it for 99 So they got a pretty decent deal for, cool. for what they're getting. And- and I do want to announce that I talked to Brett about this, but we're going to be giving away one library. Ooh, uh, nice. I don't know how we're going to do it because we're horrible at giveaways. Really, that's like our <laughs> weak link. So you want some <laughs> some hot elephant? No, love. no, yeah. It's, we're gonna, but it's going to be something. I don't know. I'm, I want to figure out something fun where we get everybody <laughs> nine, sound nine, designing. Nine. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but it's it's truly it's going to be a uh, a really great thing and. Uh, Maybe we'll have uh, like you autograph it or something. That'd be really cool. Sure, <laughs> I'll autograph it. Why not? Yeah, I think the it'd be elephants great. are paint. Yes, you know? exactly. Yeah. exactly. We can include <laughs> one pound of real elephant dog <laughs> along with every uh, smell of vision. Anyway, well, hey, listen, we gotta we're gonna wrap this up. Um, but uh, like I said, Brett, it was an honor to go out there. It was an adventure. It was an adventure. It was an adventure. Yeah. Really quick. The food in Thailand is amazing. Okay, so in case you were wondering, the food in Thailand was amazing, and your money kind of goes a, a long way in Thailand. It, you, you get a good value there. So much so that we would go to a restaurant and I would order two or three entrees just because I loved the food so much. I couldn't finish them, but I'd at least start them. And literally by like the end of the week, I had so much Thai food. I was craving a burger. <laughs> <laughs> So like the last meal there, we had like a hamburger in the hotel. I think my last meal was fish and chips. So. <laughs> All right. But anyway, hey, uh, before we go, um, Rob, are you uh, working on anything fun and exciting that you want to uh, talk about? I've been – actually, the last few weeks since we got together, I've been working on some music software, Ooh. which without going into much detail, even though everybody can figure it out, uh, basically – Writing some additions to Cubase and Pro Tools to make them easier to use uh, for certain people. Uh, and it's been really fun. It's something I've done for a long time, but I'm using a whole sort of 
new programming approach, and it's been fun. That's to great. me, writing code's a lot oh, like wow. writing music, and this has been like a new adventure. So I'm just about done with it. I should be done in the next week or so. But that's great. It's been a few weeks of software. Brandon, yeah, how you doing, man? It's doing good. you know what? It's so good to see you. Seriously, good to be here. Good to be it's seen. It's so good to see you. <laughs> <laughs> what are you working on? I'm uh, in the process of creating. It's it's a good time for this. I'm creating a new sound design collection for trailers called Trailer Monsters. Oddly Ooh, enough, so there you go. Been doing a ton of monster sound design. Everything big, from big giant Godzillas and kaiju's down to you know little aliens and whatever you know human sized creatures. I've got a library that you need to buy. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Brandon, how are people going to be elephants? (laughs) (laughs) How are people going to be able to get access to your library? Thank you, Nick. Um, The uh, well, Secret Weapon Sound is the website. Um, Most people I'm sending to my market at this point is uh, Music Soups for at the trailer houses, so I'm I'm distributing it to them. So it's not and is it licensing? Yeah, it's it's not a royalty free collection like the elephants. This is you know designed stuff specifically for licensing revenue and trailers. Right, a different different market, but yeah. Good to know. Very cool. Scott, how Thank about you. you? What are I you up another. to? It's good to see you, Scott. We haven't, I feel like we haven't seen you in a while because you've been I busy. I haven't seen a lot of daylight. <laughs> um, God, I don't know. What am I doing? Um, probably nothing I could talk about. But I've been busy, very busy, um, in many markets. Um, did a bunch of VR stuff for Samsung, AT&T, Gatorade. Um, Wavana. I've probably done about 26 VR projects so far. I've done with games, TV, movies, you name it. Wow. It's so, it's been, it's been quite the journey for the last year and a half, two years, year and a half that it's been good. And, uh, but it's been, uh, it's, it's been pretty, pretty steady. Well, that's good. Almost to the point of like, look, there's a big light thing in the sky when you come out, you know? <laughs> Take vitamin D tablets, you know. Well, I, I look forward to hearing about some of these projects when you can talk about it. When I can, sure. Nick, how about you? Uh, well, a couple of things. Um, I think the big, the big news, and this is public news, so I can talk about it, is that um, Disney Consumer Products got merged with Disney Parks and Resorts. And so I am now officially an Imagineer, which is pretty darn awesome. (laughs) So that's very cool. Um, Oh my gosh, that's so Considering how much I have loved Disneyland since I was like four, that really was a big honor. And and then the other thing is I'm just doing so much work on the modular synth stuff on the YouTube channel. When I started it, I didn't know whether I was going to be focusing on general music stuff or on tabletop games or on modular synths and the stuff that everybody wants to learn more about is modular synths. So that's really what I've been focusing on. And so it's been really, really fun. And I, you know, just like you have been getting a lot of great feedback and it's just so nice to educate and mentor people like that. How do you find the software modular synths compared to the hardware modular synths? I think that software modular synths are a great way to be able to learn the craft of synthesis. Mm -hmm. Um, But you know, I think that there is nothing like the feeling of hands on knobs and buttons and switches. I think that it creates a whole different flow of thinking as I look over at Rob's gorgeous Minimoog Model D over but, but there. Then, and, but know. then once you pull the patch cords out? Yeah. That's what's so beautiful about it. <laughs> it's ephemeral. It's in but, the moment, Scott. That's what's so great about it. I'll tell you it. what, though. You learn modular sense, and it's such a great building block for 
software sense because then oh, yeah. you see, hey, this is what an oscillator does, and hey, when you plug into a, a you know a VCA or you plug in, you know, when you actually have to go to an ADSR and you actually have to know how to plug this in, and you see, I mean. It's LFOs, you know. You see that all the time, but to really plug it in and unplug it and hear what the LFO does, it's it's modular sense are a great learning tool. What's that know. YouTube channel? Oh, I'm sorry, thanks. It's under the big tree, so it's YouTube.com/slash under the big tree. Cool, that's great. And what's Mike, up with you, Mike? Um, well, <laughs> mainly uh, been working on spaces. I was in Thailand. That's why we didn't do a, an April podcast, um, and. Uh, it's it's been working out really good. You know, we were supposed to launch um, a couple months ago. We were going to drop it, and I did the whole really fun little uh, teaser. And then Amsterdam came up, and then Thailand came up, and I had to. You know, it's way more global. So like, we re-edited a bunch of stuff on the top end. It's just it's kind of turning into kind of like a kind of a fun big thing, you know. And and we've actually. I've gotten better. <laughs> so the first couple episodes, I just want to apologize right now. <laughs> no, it's not that bad. But man, that like the Thailand one was really fun, and it's going to be really cool. And the interviews and everything, it's going to be really great. So spaces is is, uh, is going to drop um, on the seventh, the seventh of June. So I just want cool. to remind people that's on the seventh, and uh, and if it doesn't drop. Um, <laughs> it'll be the eighth. <laughs> no, it'll be the seventh. Um, but you know, really quick before we wrap it up, that, that's you know one thing that I wanted to talk about, and I wanted to tell people um, one of the best things that's happened in the last twelve years is the fact that we all have options, you know, and your options are really way more attainable now than they've ever been. You know, if you want to be a musician, if you want to be a sound designer, the tools are out there. A lot of the tools are free. A lot of the tools, like even being a filmmaker, um, you know, when you got things like Resolve for free, when you've got, you know, all these great tools. And, and I just want to encourage people to chase – this sounds so cliche, but it's so true. You know, chase after a couple of those dreams. You know, it's, it's not going to hurt. You know, there's no one is going to judge you one way or the other. You just go and you try it and you see what happens. And that's what gave me the confidence to push back the whole spaces thing. It's like I felt really pressured, but I'm like, screw it. <laughs> I've been working on it for a year. What's another couple months? Because I have the opportunity to do these other things and I can change because I can change. And so that's the best thing about the last 12 years is where we were when we started to where we are now. We have way more options and we have the ability to change and to do things. I want to thank every one of you guys for being a part of the podcast. We, I could not have done this without you. Scott and Rob, you were here at the very first podcast. And I know Martin's still heavily involved. I see him all the time. He just couldn't be here. And I know Bobby moved to Australia. Um, Andrew moved to England. Um, but, you know, we've had Bobby Osinski. We've had Diego who's come in. And we have Dennis every now and then. And and then Nick, you've been, you know, such a great part of the podcast. And and. Brandon, you know, I know you, you know, you can't make it all the time, but when you first joined us, you just added a whole another element. And I just want to thank all you guys. And I want to thank all the listeners out there for all the feedback that you give me and you give the podcast. And, um, you know, we've got seven loyal listeners, <laughs> 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 but they are loyal. 
<laughs> so anyway, if you have any comments or questions, you can reach us at audio at nowcastnetwork.com. That's audio at nowcastnetwork.com. You can also send us a message on Facebook, and uh, we have Instagram also. So from myself and all the guys, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. See you, Joy. Thanks for listening to the Audio Nowcast, sponsored by API and Wireworld Pro Audio. The Audio Nowcast is hosted by Mike Rodriguez and features a panel with Rob Arbutier, Bobby Osinski, Scott Gershon, Nick Peck, Diego Stucco, Brandon Birdside, Martin Page, Bobby Summerfield, and maybe a guest or two. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>